Hello and welcome to the London School of Theology podcast. You are listening to our weekly chapel service. London School of Theology. Forming disciples. Resourcing churches. Impacting society. Good morning, LST community. Today we will be reading from Revelation 12, verse 7 to 12. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they were defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. The deceiver of the world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven proclaiming, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our comrades has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. But they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they did not cling to life, even in the face of death. Rejoice then, you heavens, and those who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Um, it's a delight uh, to welcome uh, an Australian friend here to preach this morning. Last week we had uh, an, another Australian friend here, Graham, and uh, this is like a, it's like a sort of second instalment of Australian preaching. That's amazing, isn't it, really? We are truly global when we have all these Australians coming uh, to us. And uh, John Newton and his wife Judy uh, are here on a visit. Uh, I've known John um, over a number of years now. Uh, John first invited me back, I think it was 2016. I was around then, I was invited to Melbourne. Anybody been to Melbourne? Oh, a few people have been to Melbourne, yeah. So I was invited to speak at a conference, a Doctor of Ministry conference. At the time, John was leading postgraduate, uh, Director of Postgraduate Research at Harvest Bible College in Melbourne and running the Doctor of Ministry program, and I was invited to preach, and that was great. I had a great time in Australia, hadn't been there before, uh, haven't been back since, uh, maybe another time. Um, but because John's Australian, please don't mention the rugby at the minute. That's something not, not to mention. Um, I thought I'd get it in quick so that you get it out of the way, you can move on. Yeah. I mean, they're, th they're on the. W yeah, no, we won't talk about cricket, no, it's all right. So um, at the minute, uh, John is Associate Professor of Biblical Studies and, and Pentecostalism at Alpha Crucis College. Alpha Crucis is the Pentecostal University College in Sydney. And he's also, as I've said, served as Dean of Postgraduate Studies at Harvest Bible College. Um, his area of interest is the Book of Revelation, and no surprise, but that's our reading for today, um, and also Australian Pentecostalism. He's published widely in a number of international journals, and he has a, a number of books, including Revelation Reclaimed, The Use and Misuse of the Apocalypse, 2009, The Revelation Worldview, 2015, A Pentecostal Commentary on Revelation, 2021, and then finally, 
Holy Spirit break out, read, uh, discovering the stories of Australian Pentecostalism. Thanks, John. Thank you, Mark. Wow. I feel really blessed to be here this morning. I didn't expect to be dressed like this. You know, I expected, you know, England, October. You know, I'd put all, we, we left um, Melbourne where we live in the middle of July. So that's the middle of winter in Australia. And we had winter clothes underneath and summer clothes on top, you know, because, you know, we're coming into summer. And we had booked two places where we were going to, I was going to go swimming at the beach. But in both those places, the weather turned nasty. So one in St. Malo in France and the other one in Penzance. And, uh, but now I had to get all my summer weight clothes out again this morning. I think, wow, what a delight. We have brought our lovely Australian weather to you. Aren't you glad? Come back. <laughs> okay, you know. We won't talk about rugby. Uh, <laughs> most people in Australia don't even know what rugby is. Okay, the main game in Australia is called Australian football. And particularly in Melbourne, where I live, everybody's into that. But I happen to be like rugby. So, yeah, I haven't really been too pleased or impressed. I'm sure there's some heads going to roll in Australian rugby. Anyway, that's by the by. So, uh, as Mark has said to you, I'm the... Uh, Associate Professor of Biblical Studies and Pentecostalism. I change my title every year virtually. And, uh, and I am in the Melbourne campus of Alpha Cruz. Alpha Cruz is the head campus, as you said, is in Sydney, but there's actually a campus in all the big cities um, of Australia. Um, my wife and I live in a little town just north of Melbourne called Kilmore, and uh, where the weather is sometimes quite English, and because uh, it's a bit high up. Uh, above sea level. And as I said, we've been on the road since the middle of July. We won't be back home until the middle of November. I'm hoping to finish my part of the tour in Israel. As you can tell, that's not necessarily a very reliable thing to say. But we'll see how we go. Mark mentioned my books. I didn't bring the one on Australian Pentecostalism downstairs with me, but the three on Book of Revelation... Revelation Reclaimed, Revelation Worldview, which is my PhD rewritten, and a Pentecostal commentary on Revelation. If you want to have a look at those, um, I've got some copies. I can't sell you one because, you know, I've come by plane. You can't bring too many books on a plane. But if you want to have a look, and you can order those, all three of them, through Amazon or any of those other uh, sellers. Praise the Lord. So, Father... Once again, we just ask you to be with us today. I pray, help me to speak clearly. Help me to bring the word you want brought today to your people. We pray, God, that you will speak through me, but also independently of me. Lord, that you will speak into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives. And let your will be done today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, Mariana, that shared a little earlier on, I just have a little word for you. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. I just feel that God is going to use those experiences that you've had to a much greater degree than you think. You've already seen that with your mother. She's seen you react in a Christ-like way, even in those things. But God's going to use you to touch lots of people because lots and lots of people are suffering from mental health issues these days. And God's going to use you and he's going to use your experience in ways you never could have imagined. Is that okay? 
Praise the Lord. Yeah. I get these little words occasionally. So if I do that, I know you'll put up with me. I want to talk about the power of the blood. Now, where did I put the clicker? After all this attempts I made to be very organised, there it went down there. Uh, okay. So, is this working? Aha. Whoa. It's working. And of course, you sung the hymn uh, that I had here. I was in uh, Finland uh, a couple of weeks ago ministering uh, on this topic. And of course, they didn't know that song, most of them, in Finland. Uh, so I had to sing it to them. I won't do that today. You've already sung it. You've done really, really well. But I want to talk about the power um, of the blood. And I want to talk about it in relation, I'll get this right eventually. That's it. In relation to the book of Revelation, which as you've heard is my particular um, interest area. Now, I don't know about England and I don't know about you guys, but in, I'm an Australian Pentecostal, right? And there are two topics you hardly ever hear in our churches these days. One is the blood of Jesus and the other one is the book of Revelation. Now, there are, I won't even try and explain why that is the case. With the case with respect to the book of Revelation, 40 years ago, we all thought we knew what the book of Revelation was saying and what exactly was going to happen. But of course it didn't, did it? And so now most Australian Pentecostal preachers are nervous about the book of Revelation and they don't want to speak about it. They don't want to touch it. But there's a lot that we have to learn from the book of Revelation. And I want to make this, whoops, okay, I'm going to get this clicker working the right way. The Revelation unveils the power of the blood of Jesus and does so even beyond our normal categories. So there are three key messages that I want to bring to you this morning from the book of Revelation. First of all, Jesus' blood frees us from our sins. Secondly, Jesus' blood conquers the world. And thirdly, Jesus' blood defeats the enemy. So let's talk first of all about Jesus' blood frees us from our sins. Revelation 1.5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. As I was uh, preparing this message some months ago, um, I remembered this particular little illustration. I wonder if anybody knows where you might find those sort of illustrations. The Good News Bible. Thank you. Good on you. Well-trained bunch. And, uh, of course, it's not based on that particular verse. It's based on the verse in, in Romans. But I love this particular little uh, cartoon, if you can pull it that way. Here is the man on the right carrying his heavy burden, his burden of sin. He looks at the cross as he lays it down. He walks away free. It says it so clearly, doesn't it? What the blood of Jesus does for us in relation to sin. So how does this work? And again, you probably nearly all know what I'm about to say. It's okay. It's good to remind ourselves though, isn't it? First of all, when we say that the blood of Jesus frees us from our sin, 
We're using another word that a lot of our, our Pentecostal pastors in Australia, at least, are nervous about, and I don't think they're the only ones, So that is the word sin. We don't like that word very much, do we? It seems to suggest things that are a bit, a bit old-fashioned, a little bit too religious, or whatever the right answer is. But when the, when the Bible says, when John in Revelation sees that the blood of Jesus frees us from our sin, he obviously means something very serious. That sin is a reality. That sin is something that we have all been captured by and driven by. And even now that we are saved Christians, it still bothers us. And we still have little wrestles with sin, sometimes big wrestles uh, with sin uh, in our lives. So sin is a reality. Of course, we only have to read the newspapers and watch television for five seconds and to realise that. But of course, sin is an offence to God and God has pronounced a sentence. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. And so every one of us in our natural condition, so to speak, is living under a sentence of death. But we thank God that his love has come to set us free. We thank God that he does not just accept that, oh, they've sinned, die, finish. God loves us so much. We all know John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We know that Jesus' death has taken place in our, in our place. And Leviticus 17 tells us the life of a creature is in the blood. So when Jesus died on the cross, we know, therefore, he shed his blood. It's not a matter of blood dripping down off the cross or some image like that. It's a matter of his life for you, his life for me, his life for everyone in the world. We're coming to that in a minute. And we are, therefore, freed from our sins by faith in the blood of Jesus. Once again, you probably all know this. But I just want to reassure you again that the blood of Jesus has not lost its power. Amen. Amen. The blood of Jesus still frees people all over the world from their sin. It still frees you and me from our sin. Because if you're anything like me, you still do some sins sometimes. Or am I the only one? No. Oh, good. Okay. So... We are freed from our sins by faith in his blood. And I, I think we should just stop and just let that sink in for a minute. So just close your eyes a minute. Lord, we thank you for the precious blood of Jesus. And right now, as we are waiting in your presence, Lord, if there's anybody here who has doubts or worries about their sin, May they get a fresh revelation even now of the precious blood of Jesus. May they see again that the blood of Jesus frees them, frees us from our sins. And may that assurance comfort and stabilize their lives in Jesus' name. Amen. At the end of this message, if you are having a struggle in any of that sort of area, please come and let me pray for you. Secondly, then, 
What am I doing wrong? Ah, here we go. Jesus' blood conquers the world. In Revelation 5, verse 9, it says, With your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Let's just get some context to that verse for a minute. At the beginning of chapter 5 in Revelation, there is a massive issue comes up. John has been caught up into heaven in the spirit. He's seen the angels and the living creatures and the elders. They're all worshipping God and acclaiming God as the creator of all. It's an amazing scene. But when we get into chapter 5, it all goes a little bit sour. Because at the beginning of chapter 5, he sees this scroll that is sealed up and he hears a loud voice. Did you notice loud voices in the message this morning, in the reading? We'll come back to that later. Revelation is a very loud book. People hardly ever whisper in Revelation. They're always loud. But anyway, this angel says in a loud voice, who is worthy to take the seal and open the, sorry, take the scroll and open the seals? And John hears that there is no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth who is able or worthy to take the scroll and open those seals. And he cries bitterly. Obviously, this is a very, very, very big issue. This is huge. It's like God's whole program is blocked. It's stopped. It can't go forward. And I can imagine people listening to this for the first time because they didn't read it at the beginning, someone read it to them, thinking, well, what's going on here? And then you know, if you've read Revelation, that then uh, a voice says, or somebody says, sorry, I think it's uh, one of the elders, says to John, don't weep. The line of the tribe of Judah has triumphed so as to be able to take the scroll and break its seals. It's all this incredible, powerful, messianic language from the Old Testament. But then John sees not a conqueror, not somebody dressed in armour, but a lamb that looking as if it had been slaughtered. And it's in that context, the lamb comes up and takes the scroll that everybody says, or he hears, with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And that is why Jesus was worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. But let's just notice again, let's linger here a little bit longer. You purchased for God. Jesus has paid the price for persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. There is not one little tiny tribe out there in the middle of nowhere that isn't affected by this statement. And a couple of chapters later, John sees this played out. He sees a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language. And when he asks about that, 
He is told that these people have made, uh, have been saved and their robes have been washed white in the blood of Jesus. A lot of people don't like that language. Washing the blood of Jesus sounds a bit awful. But that's the language the Bible uses here. He's trying to show that these people that Jesus purchased with his blood are going to come to him. They are there. They're not just a figment of his imagination. They are there. They are perfect. And I want you to realise this today. The power of the blood of Jesus is bigger than your issues and my issues. It actually affects the whole world. Every tribe, every language, every, every people group, every nation. So I want to think about that a little bit and see how, what is the actual impact of what John sees there. How many of you have heard of Reinhard Bonnke? Not that many. It's amazing how quickly people get forgotten. He died a few years ago, not that long. Reinhard Bonnke was an amazing Pentecostal evangelist who had incredible meetings all over Africa, particularly he did preach in other places, but Africa is what he's most named, known for. Sometimes crowd of millions would come to hear this guy. Many, many people got saved, people got healed, etc. Um, his um, autobiography, if you ever want to read a good Christian autobiography, is one of the best ones I've ever read. But this is a little part of it. This is early in his ministry when he just was getting started in Africa, um, mainly in the little country of Lesotho. He said, I had a dream that changed everything. I saw a map of Africa, not South Africa, not Lesotho, not Johannesburg, but the entire continent. In my dream, the map began to be splashed and covered with blood. I became alarmed. I thought surely this meant some kind of apocalyptic violence was coming, perhaps a bloody communist revolution. But the spirit whispered to me that this was the blood of Jesus that I saw. The terrible violence that spilled his blood happened 2,000 years ago on a cross. Then I heard the words, Africa shall be saved. Hallelujah. Now, um, Bonke's um, revelation seems to me to connect with another verse in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 14, verse 20. This is talking about the winepress of God's wrath. And it says here, they, that is grapes, were trampled in the winepress outside the city and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. Pretty graphic kind of language, isn't it? And most commentators have taken this to mean some kind of end times bloodbath, some big battle, lots and lots of people killed, blood flowing everywhere. Or some other commentators say, well, it's referring to the big war between Rome and the Jews in AR 66 to 70 AD or something like that. But when I'm reading this and when I was doing my commentary, I had to look at every verse in the book of Revelation afresh and I changed my view on a number of points. Did you notice? Well, two things I want you to notice. First of all, this blood is as high as the horse's bridles, which I think is about as high as me. 
okay? And it flows for a 1600 study, which is about 300 kilometres, or about 200 miles, roughly, okay? So where would you be if you started from here and you went 200 miles, let's say, north? Where would you end up? Leeds. Leeds, okay. So you've got blood this high from London to Leeds. That's an awful lot of blood. Now, maybe John is using hyperbole, okay? Maybe he's just using imagery. Uh, obviously, there's a little bit of, there is imagery going on here. But it seems to me that's an awfully big statement, even for a massive, say, nuclear war or something like that. But the second thing I noticed is they were trampled in the winepress outside the city. What city? Some of you are getting the point. Okay, Hebrews talks about us going outside the city to take part in the shame of Jesus. So I came to think, and I'm not putting this on you as a doctrine, that this is not actually talking about an ordinary bloodbath. This is talking about the blood of Jesus and the power of the blood of Jesus to conquer the whole world. Bonke said, Africa shall be saved. I want to say to you today, England shall be saved. Who, who would like to believe that? Amen. Europe shall be saved. Or maybe specifically right now, Israel shall be saved. Who would like to say that with me? Israel shall be saved. There's lots of scriptures about that, of course, in the Bible. But I would like to add, Gaza shall be saved. Who would like to say that with me? Gaza shall be saved. Or add any other country you like. This is the power of the blood. We need to get a bigger picture, a bigger vision of the power of the blood of Jesus. But then thirdly, Jesus' blood defeats the enemy. And this is one, the one that we read in the Bible verse uh, this morning at my request. And you might remember in that passage, thank you for the, uh, the student who read that. I can't quite see you, but anyway, um, she did a great job. It starts with a war in heaven. And there are two sides to this war. So there's Michael, who's the archangel and the, all the angelic forces of God on the one hand, and there's Satan and his angelic forces on the other. And we read that Satan lost the war. He was cast out of heaven and so on. But the question that arises then is, why did Satan lose? Was it because God is more powerful than Satan? That's true. But it's not the answer the text gives. Is it because God has more angels than Satan? That's true too. But it's not the answer the text gives us. The heavenly voice says, they triumphed over him. First of all, who is they? Well, the previous verse tells us that he is the accuser of our comrades, our brothers and sisters. So the they then is us. It's the believers. It's the Christians. They triumphed over the devil. Ooh. It's not that because God's got more power or has more angels or anything like that. We are the ones who are in this fight. We are the ones who triumph over him, triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb. 
So we didn't triumph over, or we don't triumph over the devil by our being so wonderful, so famous, so one, so incredible, so talented, so well-trained, whatever it is that you want to put in there. It's all because of the blood of Jesus. You see, the blood of Jesus deals, and I'm sort of skipping ahead a little bit, with the foundation of the devil's throne. The devil's power over the world today is largely built on one thing, guilt. Because we are guilty before God, before, because of that sentence of death that God pronounced against sin, Satan is able to use that to drive a wedge between humanity and God. But you see, the blood of Jesus takes that away. He's powerless. He has no foundation for his throne. It's all now bluff, if you want to really put it that way. But then going back to our verse, they triumphed him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So in other words, Jesus' blood has already purchased people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Jesus' blood has already conquered the world, but we have got to let the world know. Amen. We are the ones who give the word of their testimony. And that is the whole message, if you like, of the book of Revelation. The triumph, or I call it the triumph of the martyrs, because the next verse says they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So, yes, Jesus' blood has done it all, but we have got to be his witnesses. And that may mean that we have also got to die. You probably have heard this, that more people are getting killed for their faith in Jesus today than ever before in history. Now, I'm not laying that on you. I'm not prophesying that you're all going to get killed, but you might. And we've got to face that. Okay, this is life and death business. This is a mighty struggle that we're involved in at this case. So let's talk again about the blood, though. As I said, the blood of Jesus deals with the foundations of the throne of Satan. It takes away his weapons. It takes away the main thing, hold that he has on humanity. It does this in my life and yours. You're, we are all those who've been set free from our sins by his blood. He does it in my world and yours. Remember, the blood is not just for Christians. It's for everybody every tribe and tongue and people and nation. It, that power is so strong, so powerful, that anybody, think about for a minute, think about all those nasty Hamas people that we've heard about the last few days who invaded Israel and took hostages and so on. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Jesus' blood is the power to save every one of them. I'm not saying all of them will be saved. I'm not preaching universalism at you. But I am preaching the power of the blood of Jesus. So wherever we as Christians confess Christ, the blood of Christ can do this amazing job. So what are we going to do uh, with all this? First of all, we need to believe in the power of Jesus' blood. We need to get a fresh revelation, perhaps, of just how powerful and strong the blood of Jesus is. And then we need to claim it for ourselves. We need to realise that this power of Jesus' blood does not go away when you do something stupid, okay? 
that blood is still there. We need to testify to it to others. We need to go forward with confidence into our world because we know about the power of the blood of Jesus. And we need to expect to see the world saved. Now, again, I'm not preaching universalism. I'm not saying every single person is going to get saved. But I'm expecting to see the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit do amazing things even more than it's happening now. Now, already, if you're well informed, you know that although the church seems to be in trouble in the Western world, it's going gangbusters in Africa and Latin America and the Pacific and parts of Asia and all sorts of other interesting places. China, it's said, will be the biggest Christian country in the world very soon. That's not what you hear on the media about China, is it? <laughs> but this is what God is doing. Amen? Because of the power of the blood of Jesus. But then finally, and I want to use a verse that's not out of Revelation here, um, we need to apply it to our relationships as well. So uh, 1 John 1.7 says, If we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. One another? What's the blood of Jesus got to do with that? Well, if I'm going to live in the power of the blood of Jesus, if I'm going to believe that the power of the blood of Jesus frees me from my sins, I'd better have the same attitude to everybody around me. I need to be forgiving. I need to interpret all my relationships, even with the annoying people in my life, through the power of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is there for that as well. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would make these truths that I've tried to preach today real in our hearts and our lives. I pray, first of all, that you would give a fresh or maybe even just a first revelation of the blood of Jesus to every person in this room. Father, you know where everybody is at. You know what they're going through. And we know also that the devil still accuses us. He still accuses us in our hearts and through other people of all sorts of things. And it's only by the power of the blood that we are set free from his accusations. It's only by the power of the blood of Jesus that we can live a free and confident Christian life. So Lord, I pray that you'd make that real to everybody in this place today. Just keep your eyes closed a minute. I know that you're all, or nearly all students or prospective students, uh, of Christian theology. But it's possible even here that some are struggling to get a hold of this truth. I remember when I first started wanting to be a Christian, I tried my best to be a good boy. And sometimes I succeeded a little bit. Mostly I failed. It was only when I got a true picture of God's grace 
and of what God could do in my life. And that this became real to me. That I could be set free and came into a place of confidence with God. Yes, Jesus' blood has been shed for you, but do you know it? So if there's anyone here this morning or this afternoon as it now is, if there's anyone here today and you're struggling with this, you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, you're not sure that you're going to heaven, so to speak, you're not sure that these things that you know you've done wrong have actually been taken away from you, then I want to pray for you before we finish today. So if that's you, would you just lift your hand in the air? If you're not sure about the blood of Jesus, you're not sure that it's been that it's dealt with your sin. Okay, I can see one hand up at the back there. Is there anyone else? Thank you very much. You can put it down again. Hallelujah. Is there anyone else? It's not sure. Very important. There's another hand. Thank you. You can put your hand down again. Thank you very much. There's another one. Thank you. Anybody else? Lord, I just pray for those three people and others who maybe didn't put their hands up. And I just pray that your blessing would come upon them right now. I pray that your, your spirit would fall on them. And I pray that your word would so speak into their lives that they would have no further doubt of the power of the blood of Jesus. So just bless them abundantly, I pray. But also before we finish today, I believe God would want to challenge us. He wants us to be witnesses of the power of Jesus and his blood. And I want to invite you today to respond to that. It says they overcame him, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they didn't love their lives so as to shrink from death. So I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you today Are you willing to go all the way with Jesus? Are you willing to be a witness for him? That's why the Holy Spirit came, wasn't it? You know, Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Spirit of God comes on you. and You'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. That's what this is all about. Jesus' blood has purchased people for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. It's our job to go out and tell them and give them the opportunity to get uh, respond to that and to experience that for themselves. So I want to challenge you this morning. If you want to make a fresh commitment of your life to that commission, to that mission of God, I'm just going to ask you to stand where you are right now. And as you stand, you're saying, yes, God, I'm freshly committing, or maybe for the first time, committing my life to be a witness for Jesus, even if it costs me everything that I have. And it might cost you something. It will cost you something. Just stand where you are, if that's your commitment today. 
Hallelujah. Not because other people are doing it. Only if God is speaking to you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So I'm going to ask you to follow me in a prayer right now. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus. I thank you for what it has done in my life. I now dedicate myself to take this message wherever you send me, to whoever you send me, no matter what it costs, I give myself to you. Thank you now for the power of your blood. And thank you for the power of your spirit. Fill me with your spirit so that I can fulfill this commitment. And use me beyond my wildest dreams. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the London School of Theology podcast. To find out more about LST and our courses, please visit our website 